Good morning and welcome to Worship at Hillhead. Um, an especially warm welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. It's lovely to see Antoinette uh, in, the, in the back row and I know that uh, uh, Dave's mum is also here um, visiting with us this morning, so it's lovely to see you too. Our worship this morning is led by Laura um, and uh, we look forward to hearing what she has to share with us. We've got a couple of pieces of family news this morning. Um, we were really sorry to hear that um, Joyce Craig is in the Queen Elizabeth um, after falling and breaking her hip. Um, yeah, she had surgery yesterday, which um, we're pleased to hear went well, and she's recovering from that. And um, we keep Joyce Morag and their wider family in our prayers. Um, if you would like to visit, Joyce is in Ward 10C at the Queen Elizabeth, um, room 82. So that's the Butte Lifts Ward 10C. We've been keeping the Queen Elizabeth busy this week. Um, my wife, George, was also um, in hospital following a pretty bad asthma attack. She got home on Thursday. She's on the mend. She's fine. Um, but this is mainly to say if you're waiting for anything from me, I will try my best to get it to you this week. Thank you to all who have contributed to our Christian Aid Christmas Appeal. We'll tot up the numbers and you'll be able to see how much we've raised in the December edition of The Key. Um, Laura hasn't quite finished the December edition of the key, so if you get a donation to Christian Aid in today, I think, maybe tomorrow at a push, um, then you can still have your Christmas greetings printed in the key. Um, if there's anything else for the key, um, if you get it to Laura quickly, then it can still be in for December. Our midweek conversation group meets as usual on Tuesday on Zoom at 7. This week we'll be starting Advent a little bit early because otherwise Advent is very short and we'll be discussing this wee book, Stick With Love by Aaron Aurora. Um, if you want to join us and haven't had a chance to get a copy yet, I have a couple in my bag or it's also available on e-reader. The Coffee Club continues to meet as usual at 10.30 on Wednesdays at Esquire House in Annie's Land. And we'll all meet together in the hotel next week and on Zoom when Brian will lead our worship for the first Sunday of Advent. Now, Emma's going to come up and sneak in another notice at the end. Hello. So, as Holly said, Advent's very short this year um, and we obviously need to fit in the Sunday School Christmas party, which is the priority. So, because of that, the Nativity will be a wee bit earlier. It will be the 10th of December. Um, we'd really like as many people to come as possible. Um, we'd like to encourage, if you've got something sparkly you could wear, maybe some tinsel or your Christmas jumper, if it's not too early for that, we can call it a dress rehearsal for Christmas Eve. Um, and also, if you have any bells at home, jingle bells specifically, that would be great if you can bring them along. Um, it's going to be quite a musical based service, so we hope that you can join us for it. For any parents, if you can let me know if you are going to be here, um, just because that way I can send out um, any kind of bits that your young people will be um, taking on so that they can be prepared for it and not just turn up and be given a script on the day. Um, that's everything really. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to Hillhead Baptist Church. Um, for joining us, those of you joining us here in the hotel, it's great to see your faces. Some I've seen before, some are new. Um, and on Zoom, 
Aileen's joined us. She joined us for the first time last week and she liked us so much that she came back this week. So I want to say hello to Aileen and also to Dawn. I think Dawn's, it's her first time here as well. So welcome. Welcome. This is the last week of reflection before we move into our Advent series in the run-up to Christmas. Brian will be starting those Advent reflections next week and I look forward to hearing what he has to say and what everyone else has to say in the weeks to come. This week we will be following the lectionary reading and I confess that like Lena, when I looked at the lecture reading today, I had an inner groan and... But despite that, we're going to go with it. And um, regardless, I hope you find something interesting in the connections between the passages of the lectionary. But first, let's open in prayer. And after that opening prayer, I invite you to say the Lord's Prayer in whatever language or form you feel most comfortable with. Let us pray. We meet together in the presence of a God whose love is freedom, whose touch is healing, and whose voice is calm. We meet not in our own strength, but in the knowledge that God's spirit abides within us. In our worship today, and in our daily lives, when we depart from this place, Lord God, in a universe that seems so immense, it is easy to feel quite insignificant as we stand here today. Yet we know that we are precious in your sight, unique individuals loved and blessed in so many ways. We stand in awe of the one who has created all things and dedicate this time and all our days to your service. Accept this offering, we pray, an offering of praise and worship. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness, faithfulness continues through all generations. Thanks, Rory. The psalm that Rory just read for us begins, Sing a joyful song to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. When I saw that this was the lecturing psalm for today, it got me pondering the question, what does it mean to sing a joyful song? Does it mean worshipping with the upbeat, happy songs of a 90s school assembly? Is it always being positive in the ways that we speak and sing? Perhaps it's to do with a feeling. Should our songs, our words, always make other people feel joyful? Is joy happiness? Or are they different things? What even is joy anyway? So to get us thinking about those questions, I'd like to ask you to tell me about things that have happened this week that have made you happy. Can anyone give me an example? Come to the front or shout out. Anyone. Katrina. I was at a wedding yesterday, so there was quite a lot of joy in the room. Um, there was also a lot of Kaylee dancing and using momentum to throw six foot four tall men across the room brought me quite a lot of joy. <laughs> that sounds lovely. I can just see the smiles around the room that we, we all recognise that feeling. Anybody else? Lena? My granddaughter playing the trumpet. Your granddaughter playing the trumpet? Well, where was she playing? She gets lessons in the school and she plays in our house. In your house, brilliant. She tries to teach me. <laughs> she tries to teach you. Is that because you have... Incredibly teachable, I, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Lena, you had something. Yes, the glistening of the frost yesterday morning in the sun. The mm. glistening of the frost in the sun, yeah. The cold not so much, but the frost yeah, is pretty. Yeah. Good. I've brought along a few things that have made me happy this week. There's two little boys sat at the back of the room. They've made me very happy this week. I've also brought along a scarf that I made and it's, it's, it's got mohair in it so it's really quite tactile and it just feels like a bit of a cuddle when you wear it. So that made me very happy. A candle that smells like a spa, that has made me happy. And I began sorting out some of the sea glass that I found in Orkney, washing it and sorting it into sizes. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a special joy, but <laughs> it brought me joy anyway. I should add that one of the things that has made me happy this week is to discover that there's a fisherman in the States who's got a TikTok channel called The Claw Spa. And he and his fellow fishermen catch lobsters. And when they come across a breeding female who they're obliged to throw back, before they do that, they carefully scrape all the barnacles off their shells. 
Now, they do that because the barnacles can stop the lobsters shedding their shells properly. And so actually it can be quite detrimental to their health. So they do this, they scrape off all the barnacles and then they give the the lobster a little fish and she gets it in a little claw and he chucks them back in the sea. And it is just a small thing, but it's made me really happy this week to know that somebody somewhere is do- going out of their way to do a really nice thing for another creature. Recording a stopped. Thing, a small thing, but it felt like a moment of goodness in a sea of the rest of the bad news that we see on on the media. In 2015, to celebrate their friendship and a special birthday, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Recording Dalai Lama in pro- travelled to India to enjoy their friendship and talk about joy. Despite inhabiting quite different cultures and faith traditions, one an Anglican theologian renowned for his fight against apartheid, the other a Buddhist monk and Tibet's exiled spiritual leader, Both have orientated their lives around compassion and care for others. In the Book of Joy, which is a book resulting from these discussions about joy during that time, the Archbishop suggests that joy is much bigger than happiness. Whilst happiness is often seen as being dependent on external circumstances, joy is not. And that seems a pretty good definition to hold in mind as we consider the next lectionary reading. But first, let's sing a joyful song, Sing Hosanna. The reading is from Matthew 25. 
When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out. Much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes, sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering? or sick, or in prison, and didn't help. He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. imagine that after reading, listening to the reading that Margaret just read that you might be thinking what on earth has that got to do with joy? That was my, my reaction when I saw a psalm about singing a joyful song paired with the Matthaean passage about the sheep and the goats. This passage is traditionally interpreted as being about judgment. 
seeing salvation as grounded in works of kindness to those in need. And whilst that might be the traditional interpretation, that's not what I'm going to focus on today. And, that, and that's not because I am avoiding getting into a conversation about judgment and hell and salvation. It's because I think that there were more interesting questions to ask about this passage. And in particular, the ways in which the psalm Rory read and this passage might be connected. Most of you know that I'm a chaplain. And as a chaplain, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in their inner lives, their spirituality, and the ways that they relate to others, to themselves, to God, and the world in which they live. That way of understanding permeates most of what I do. So I won't be, it won't be particularly surprising to you that it's in this way that I approach the passage before us today. I hope that you'll be able to find a connection between these two passages that speaks to us about the ways in which we live in the world. I hope that in these reflections, you'll find a grain of truth that resonates with the way that you live your life and the ways that you experience God and the world around you. So I was, as I was reflecting on this path, the words of Jesus in the Matthean passage, I was struck most by the questions. So verse 37 says, Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? When did we ever see you thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And verse 44, Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and we didn't help? Those two questions are almost identical, aside from the ways in which the asking group responds to the person in need. And essentially the question boils down to when? It seems that neither group knew when they had seen Jesus in the person in need. But one group, the sheep, had responded by helping, which was apparently the right way. And the other group, the goats, had failed to respond at all, which was a wrong response. And more than that, the way that they responded had consequences. So it, it, it's almost like being part of a test that you didn't even know you were part of. A very human response to reading this passage from the traditional interpretation of judgment might be a feeling of fear. A fear of an anxiety that we miss those that are overlooked and ignored, who Jesus talks about in these passages. If those who are in need are overlooked and ignored, it's entirely possible that we might overlook and ignore them in our daily lives as well. And quite honestly, when there's so much overwhelming need around us all the time, in our cities, our countries, and globally, how do we respond to it all? There's every possibility that we're going to overlook and ignore someone in need at some point. Advances in technology mean that we now hear of suffering all over the world, 
and we can respond to needs in more ways than ever before through the ways that we donate or we support certain causes of which there are numerous through the activism that we choose or don't choose to engage in and the ways in which we help people who cross our path every single day. The ways in which we respond to need are numerous and the whole thing can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming. Add to this that the guilt of the goats comes from not doing any specific wrongdoing, but from not doing the right thing. It was an act of omission rather than an act of wrongdoing and that feels like a lot of pressure. So when we view this passage solely through the lens of judgment, it raises further questions about our motivation for helping others. When we're acting to alleviate the suffering of others from a place of fear for our own eternal self, then does that somehow change the act itself? In that it becomes motivated more by our own fear for our own selves than from a genuine desire to make life better for another person in a small way. So does that somehow change the moral value of the act when we act to alleviate suffering? The questions that this passage raises and when we read it through the interpretation of judgment are endless and I personally can't hope to get an answer to all of them. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe it's not about understanding it all, getting it right every time. Maybe there's something deeper here something in the passage that gives us a clue about how we might live in that tension between the traditional interpretation of the passage and about uh, being about judgment and noticing the face of Jesus in our encounters with others. One way I suggest we might interpret this passage is by considering the inner motivation of love that provokes us into loving action when we attempt to alleviate the suffering of others. An inner motivation of love that stems from recognising the face of Jesus in the other, which then inspires us to reach out in love to meet the needs of the other, simply because we see in the other person someone made in the image of God of infinite worth and value. Someone who Jesus was willing to die for, just like he was for us. But still, what has all this got to do with joy? Well, I think that the impulse is the same. The motivation of heart that inspires us to joy, to sing a joyful song, is, I suggest, the same impulse as that which inspires us to loving action, towards the overlooked and the ignored. It's recognising Jesus in the here and now, seeing the creator in the work of the created, seeing the sacred in the ordinary, everyday things of our lives. And it's that seeing, that noticing, that inspires us to worship, whether that's singing a, sing a joyful song or reaching out in love to alleviate the suffering of another person. I had a conversation with someone this last week, this week just gone, and they shared with me a, about a difficult time in their lives when, as well as going through such a tough time, 
they had been still been able to enjoy singing in, in church, worshipping with other people. And in the midst of those difficulties, they continued to testify to all the ways in which God was gracious to them. The hard times they endured were still there, but their faithfulness to God inspired them to worship despite the storm raging around them. That person said to me during the, during this conversation that during that time, lots of people would say to them, how can you do that? How can you continue to be so hopeful, so thankful when you're going through so much? And I admit that that very question was on my lips too. And the words melted like ice on my lips as this person retold, retold of others' reaction to their hopefulness. So with this person's words running around my head all week as I mulled over this passage in Matthew, I began to wonder if there's a connection between singing a joyful song like this person did and between noticing the face of Jesus in the people that we come across. And I began to, I began to wonder if that's the connection between these two lectionary passages too, the act of noticing Psalm 100, which Rory read earlier, invites us to notice the hand of the creator in the world around us. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And we are invited to bow down in worship, kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are his, the people under his pasture, the flock under his care. This bowing down in worship is a response to seeing the work of the creator in, the, in creation. We might call it awe. We might call it reverence, gratitude, or taking joy in the face of such beauty. So singing a joyful song need not be something that we just do with our voices and our musical talents. Whilst this can certainly be part of singing a joyful song, we can also sing a joyful song in our noticing. When we notice the hand of the creator in creation and give a silent thanks or a quiet, I see you. We see the sacred in the divine, sacred in the mundane rather, and that noticing is a worshipful response. We see that which is good, that which is joyful. We see the sacred God in our lives on earth in the here and now. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk, spoke about practicing the presence of God as an intentional activity a choice that we make as we go through our lives and something that needs to be practiced. We notice God in the little things and it invokes feelings of thankfulness, thankfulness for what God has got done for us and thankfulness to be alive. Just like the person whose story I shared earlier did in times of immense hardship, that noticing, I'm suggesting, can contribute to a joyful heart. The noticing is the first step in being able to sing a joyful song. It is seeing the sacred in the everyday 
and giving thanks to the creator as a response. Barbara Taylor Brown is an American Episcopal priest and in her book, An Altar in the World, she uses the word reverence to describe such a response. She says that reverence is the proper attitude of a small and curious human being in a vast and fascinating world of experience. And that reverence is the recognition of something greater than the self. I think that joy is a little bit like that too. Both joy and reverence are hard to define, but when we feel it, we know what it is. What precedes both reverence and joy and action though, is the noticing. And this noticing is something that we can cultivate as Brother Lawrence suggests that we do. Noticing the hand of the creator in creation, the sacred in the mundane, the face of Jesus in the overlooked and ignored involves paying attention. Slowing down enough that our actions, interactions with others allow us to really see the other. So that our interactions with the person before us is intentional and authentic allowing enough time to see them as Jesus sees them, so that we, in them, we see his face. I confess that as a busy mum of two, I don't always practice what I preach here. But sometimes, just sometimes, and usually at when I'm at work, I have a conversation with someone, unhurried, uninterrupted, and as we're speaking, it's like, the rest of the world just melts away. It's like time just stops. And in that moment, it's just me and the person in front of me. I see them and I think that they see me. But those moments are accompanied by a sense of reverence. And it almost feels like there's a third person in the room. And I think that it's because in that moment there is. I wonder if that, what, that's what Jesus means here when he says, you did it to me. Because in those moments, he's there too. Perhaps you can think of times in your life when you've had similar conversations. I'm sure that we've all had them at some point. Or maybe you can go into the week ahead with an intentionality about noticing. Noticing the world around you and choosing joy, cultivating that impulse to pay attention, and then practicing noticing the face of Jesus in those who are overlooked and ignored. Jesus in Matthew 22 summarizes the whole law and the prophets as love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I want to suggest that part of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind is noticing God in the everyday. Not just in church, not just on a Sunday, but outside on the street in your workplace, in the park, 
walking in the rain or even doing the washing up. And similarly, loving your neighbour is about truly noticing your neighbour, recognising the neighbour who is overlooked and ignored. It's about truly seeing another person and in doing so, seeing the face of Jesus in your encounter with them. It's about being involved in the lives of others so that you notice their need. About loosening the boundaries of our own lives to let others in. It's about being willing to stop what we're doing, to pay attention to the inconveniences and the interruptions and asking ourselves, is this a divine interruption? And how do I respond to this from a place of love rather than a place of frustration. So if you'll allow me to summarise this little lesson on noticing. Firstly, noticing the sacred in the ordinary involves slowing down. Slowing down enough to pay attention to what's in front of you, whether that's a magnificent, magnificent seascape or a mountain range or whether it's a person who is hungry, sick, needing care, incarcerated or thirsty. In a culture that elevates busy, being busy and doing, where all manner of things fight for our attention, this slowing down in itself isn't an intentional act. When we choose to slow down to a pace where we can really see what's in front of us, then we're already walking on sacred ground. We are choosing to engage in a posture which opens us up to the possibility of seeing the sacred around us. John Mark Cromer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, every moment is full of goodness. Why are we in such a hurry to rush on to the next? If it is true that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, how many days do I miss that goodness in my helter-skelter race to cram it all in before sunset? And we must try not to convince must not try to convince ourselves that the overlooked and the ignored are somehow out there. The overlooked and the ignored are also in here, in this room. None of us are immune to sickness, hunger, thirst, oppression, needing care. The noticing that I speak of isn't some kind of missional activity. Rather, it's about fellowship. Fellowship with each other, with our neighbours, our colleagues, our church family, and noticing Jesus as he walks among us. Secondly, the practice of noticing takes practice. That impulse to notice the sacred in the ordinary is something that can be cultivated through practice. When we set aside time to be intentional about our noticing, this becomes a spiritual discipline in itself. As we engage in the practice of noticing the hand of God around us, then it will invade our daily existence and become part of who we are. The grateful and joyful heart is cultivated by the practice of noticing all the things that we have to be grateful for. It is this that allows us to sing a joyful song in the face of adversity. 
It is this that allows us to notice, to see the face of Jesus in the overlooked and the ignored. And thirdly, there's a balance to be struck between this contemplative noticing and the actions that it motivates. Noticing the face of Jesus in the overlooked and ignored should move us to compassionate, loving acting action to alleviate that suffering. Just like noticing the work of the creator in creation should move us to give thanks, to worship in whatever way seems fitting to us. In both the worship and the reaching out to those in need, we honour our Lord Jesus Christ by singing a joyful song. Oh God of all joy, we do praise your name, even as we turn to you with our prayers. Knowing that you are full of mercy and grace and that you hear our words as well as the whispers of our hearts. Lord of the church, we pray for the church across the world. Would you give us unity of the spirit so that through our words and through our lives, others may taste and see your goodness. We pray for our sister churches within the Baptist Union of Scotland, for St. Ninian's Community Church in Stirling, for Stenhouse Baptist Church in Edinburgh, for Stirling Baptist Church, and for Stonehaven Baptist Church. Faithful God, we offer our prayers to you for the world in need, so much need. Together with the BMS, we pray for its work in helping people to notice God's handiwork in creation enhancing our creation stewardship, especially in those places where speaking openly about the good news of Jesus is not possible. We pray that the solar projects in Chad and the food forest project in Afghanistan would provide such opportunities to share this good news of Jesus. And as the COP28 Climate Change Conference begins later this week in the United Arab Emirates, we pray for integrity in decision-making that acknowledges the human suffering already exacerbated by global warming. So we pray for those in power. And somehow in this prayer, oh God, we include those world leaders we really struggle to pray for, leaders we would yearn to see removed from power. 
We pray for those who speak truth to power and those who protest against various injustices, often at a huge personal cost. May you give them courage. May you give them creativity. May you give them joy. And help us to see where and how we too can join in the struggle for justice and peace and a better world for all. We pray for our own congregation too. Help us, O oh Lord, to follow where you might lead us. Help us to practice noticing what is around us, the sacred and the mundane and in the ordinary. Help us to keep slowing down, to notice the face of Jesus in the other. Help us to see, to really see those who are strangers, lacking in clothes, food or drink, those sick or confined. Help us to be your presence for them. Give us courage and wisdom and joy to live peacefully, to do justly and to walk humbly with you. O oh, giver of joy, all-knowing one, you who see us as we are and know us as we should be, forgive our sins. Set us free from fear and give us life abundant. Bless us with your presence. Bless us with joyful songs, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
gracious God, thank you for the gift of each day. Refresh us anew each day and invite us to discover your presence in each person that we meet, in each and every event that we encounter. Teach us to, when to speak and when to listen, when to ponder and when to share. In moments of challenge and decision, attune our hearts to the whisperings of your wisdom. As we undertake ordinary and unnoticed tasks, gift us with simple joy. When our days go well, may we rejoice. When it grows difficult, surprise us with new possibilities. When life is overwhelming, call us to Sabbath moments to restore your peace and harmony. May our living in the week ahead reveal your goodness. Amen.